You've got to love singing, holy, holy, holy is our Lord, the God Almighty, the one who was and the one who is and the one who is to come. Uh, Nothing magnifies him any more than his people acclaiming to him the greatness and the holiness that is due his name. So thank you for joining us for worship today. I want to thank those uh, that are joining us online. It's a little bit different look. I want to thank those that are here that you found it. You found the East Venue. So I am glad to meet you and here. I'm certainly glad that we could work it out so that we could have worship today together in here. Now, Leon said he was not going to ask for hands, but I am. So how many have joined up for the chapter a day? How many have done that? I have two. How many of us are behind? I'm raising my hand. I've been on vacation. I got behind, uh, and uh, I got behind by the Psalms that are on the weekend. I'm, I'm through Matthew chapter 11, but Psalm 1, 2, 3, and 4, I haven't got there yet, but I will. And so the goal is not perfection, but the goal of this chapter a day is progress. And so when you sign up, you will get a survey, five questions, less than two minutes, you can answer it. And it's important to take that survey because we're going to ask those same five questions down the road in a few months. And again, the goal is not perfection that you checked off every box, but are you growing and progressing in your discipline and abiding in God's Word? So thank you for those who have joined, for those who hadn't joined us, and let's hold one another accountable, have conversations in our life group about a chapter a day. Now, I want to invite you back at 3 o'clock this afternoon here in the East Venue. You have elected uh, some great guys to join our active deacon ministry team, two of those men. We have the privilege to ordain as deacons at Liberty Baptist. This is a church-wide event, not just for leaders, not just for deacons. And so we'd love for you to be back in here at 3 And that gives you time to get something to eat and come back before you take your nap and be in here. And before life group or home groups uh, take off this afternoon or this evening. And so it's going to be a full afternoon, but um, I want to encourage you to be a part of what God continues to do in giving us godly men to be leading servants in the life of the body of Christ. So Eric Robbins and Stacy Sprayberry are the two men that we have the privilege to ordain. Take about an hour in our service tonight. Now, take your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13 in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We continue our series, More Like Jesus. I love the title of it. In fact, the title of the series reminds us as children of God of God's purpose for our life. Yes, once we have been saved, born again, once we have turned from our sin and put our trust in Jesus as our Savior, we are then eternally secure. Our salvation is secure in the work that Jesus has already done. We never need to be saved again. However, We are still a work in progress. We have not yet arrived. So from the point of salvation being born again to the point of seeing Jesus face to face, we're in a grow pattern. 
We are growing up to be more like Jesus in character and conduct. And that process is called sanctification. And so that's why it's important for us to learn disciplines like abiding in God's word and abiding in prayer to allow the Holy Spirit to continue that good work within us. And so remember Philippians and the promises that we had there. Philippians 1.6, God who began this good work in you will complete it. And so most of us will say, we're not where we need to be being more like Jesus. And many of us would say and affirm also that I'm nowhere close to where I want to be in being like Jesus. But I pray that there's a lot of testimonies that we can say, thank God I'm not where I used to be. Amen? And so you're on a grow pattern. You're on a journey to grow to be more like Jesus. Now, at Liberty, we take the Great Commission serious. And that's the, the mandate that God has given us as a body of believers to go into all the world and to make disciples, to make disciples by making Christ known and to make disciples by helping, encouraging, striving together to grow to be more like Jesus and accomplish that disciple-making process. And so that's who we are, and that's what we're about. That's what we as pastors and staff strive together for for you is that we can be growing to be more like Jesus and making disciples who also make disciples who also make disciples. In this series, there's a squeak right there. Y'all hear it? <laughs> the, in, in this series, More Like Christ, it's a six-week series. So if God has called us to make disciples, then we need real clarity about what a disciple looks like. Because we're not going to grow up to be something we're not clear about what it looks like. And the Bible is crystal clear about a disciple of Jesus. And at Liberty, we've identified six marks of a disciple. And we call them what? Measures. I heard one person do it. Yes, measures. The measures of a disciple. And that was a deacon, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Staff. Was it Leon? Uh, I tried to give deacons credit and they didn't take it. <laughs> measures is what we grew up in. And so today we're going to focus on measure three. On the seventh, I did measure one, a child who knows God. Last week, Brian preached a powerful sermon about a student who lives changed. Now, out of John chapter 13, we're going to see an example of Jesus of what a friend who loves others really looks like. And so in John 13, Jesus is showing us what loving others look like. What greater example? In fact, John said in John 15 verse 13, greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. And so what Jesus does in John chapter 13 is foreshadowing the ultimate sacrifice that he gave on the cross as he shed his blood, dying in our place, was buried and rose again. And so John 13, as we read verses 1 through 15, shows us what disciples loving others looks like. And to love someone, here's what you're going to hear, means to serve them. When, when we learn what a friend who loves others looks like, it, it means that we're going to be that friend that chooses to stoop low at times and do the unexpected 
and do that which doesn't have all the recognition and, and the fanfare of people seeing and knowing and understanding what you do. But you do it because you are a child of God who's experienced the love of God and you reciprocate and give that to those around you as you go wherever you go. Now, if you're able, I want you to stand and let's honor the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read John chapter 13, verses 1 through 15. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, betray Jesus. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from the supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wiped them with the towel with which he was girded. Got to love verse 6. Then he came to Simon Peter. You know something's up when come to Peter. And then Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never, literally, no, not never, wash my feet. Jesus answered and said, if I do not wash you, you have no part, association, fellowship, partnership, union with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who is bathed or who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean and you are clean. But not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you're not all clean. So when he washed their feet, taking his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you say, well, for so am I. If then your teacher, your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done. Let's pray. Father, open our eyes to see and our ears to hear the application of truth that you have for us today. As you continue that process within us to make us more like Jesus. It is in his precious and mighty and powerful name we pray. And all God's people say... Amen and amen. If you have sermon notes, either on the app or in print, there is a paragraph that goes along with our third measure, a friend who loves others. And I just want to read it. You can follow along. But it says, because you are connected in Christ, you've been born again, you are now a friend, a brother, a sister. You're part of a family that extends beyond you and all around you. Literally, this family is global. In this family, you are friends, part of a family that exists, uh, I missed the line, beyond you and around you. In this family, we are friends, we labor together, and we serve together. You seek ways to encourage your friends in everyday life. Let that sink in. As you go, wherever you go, ways to encourage and love and serve others. You look for opportunities to help others bear life's burdens. Could be your life group. 
You serve the Lord by washing the feet of his people. You protect your friends and treasure their friendship because you are a friend to God's people. And it's in this identity that we grow up day by day by day. Now, if you're new to Liberty, first-time guest or returned a couple of times, you see the foot-washing material in front of me. Let me just put your mind at ease. I'm not washing your feet this morning. Not literally. But we're going to see the example of Christ and understand the application of what that means for every child of God. Now, as we jump into John's gospel narrative, remember, as he was inspired of the Lord to compile a narrative of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he wrote with a purpose in mind that those who read it may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, that they may have life eternal in his name. And so chapter 20, verse 31 is that key verse of the whole gospel. Chapters 13 through 17 is uh, loosely called the upper room discourse. And, And that just means that chapter 13 opens the door for us to enter in that upper room at that last supper when Jesus is sharing some very intimate details with his closest followers about how they are to continue to live out their faith in him after he is dead and resurrected and then ascended to be back with the Father. You see, what Jesus began on this earth, he has called his followers, the church, the body of Christ to continue today. And we sum that up from Matthew 28 and call it the Great Commission that we are to go, therefore, into all the world and make disciples. And so that's our mission. And as children of God, our purpose is to grow to be more like Christ, not only in who we are, but how we live out our life by making Christ known and helping brothers and sisters around us grow in his likeness. So the question that came to my mind as I was trying to study while on vacation is what can we learn from Jesus' example in that upper room that will grow us to be that friend who loves others? And so your notes are fairly simple this morning, but it breaks down a mindset, a process of working my way through a passage. So number one is simply observations about the text from John. John, inspired of the Holy Spirit, writes about this life event as he is one of those disciples. And so observations, what do we find out? In verse one, we find out the timing of the event. It's the season of the Feast of the Passover, that annual Jewish festival commemorating God's deliverance of his people, Israel, uh, out of Egypt, Exodus chapter 12. And John brings now his readers into that climactic Passover time frame and Last Supper as we know it. For from this point on, Jesus is going to redefine the significance of this Passover meal. No longer looking back to the blood of the lambs over the door doorpost uh, as, a, as the death angel came and those with the lamb's blood over their door mantles, doorposts, they, they were spared in their life. We're not looking back, but Jesus is pointing to himself. This event is foreshadowing what is yet to come, and Jesus is pointing to himself as John said in John, in John chapter 1, verse 29, 
Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. And so Jesus is redefining what this is ultimately going to be, that, that when we observe the Lord's Supper today, we don't look back to Egypt and remember, we look to the cross and remember a Savior who willingly laid down his life, shed his blood that was without spot and without blemish, and became the perfect sacrifice to atone for our sin. And so Jesus is foreshadowing what is about to come, that his blood will be poured out for many for the remission of their sins. The Gospel of John and the first 12 chapters has been building up to this point. That, that point when the Lamb of God will take his place on a cross and his shed blood would spill out, becoming the atoning sacrifice for our sin. John emphasizes this kind of love in verse 1. as an interesting phrase after he said Jesus knew that the hour had come that he should depart from this world into the Father. And then here's the phrase, having loved his own who were in the world. Those followers of his that were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, that could mean that he loved them till he died on the cross, and it does have that meaning there. But the, the Greek wording here is much deeper. He, he loved them literally to the uttermost. He loved them to the greatest extent. And there is no greater demonstration of love than when Jesus took our place laid down his life, and shed his blood on Calvary's cross. That is the greatest demonstration of love. And so when it says that Jesus loved his own who were in the world to the end, he loved them to the uttermost. That's important to hang on to because it's that kind of love to the uttermost that you receive, that I receive, that he calls you to give. Loving others to the uttermost. That means Selfless, that means sacrificial, that means unconditional. Loving those who deserve love and loving those who don't. And we're going to see that played out in Jesus' example as we look at his example in front of us. That's what the timing of the text, the context, but what did John say Jesus knew? There are about three things that he, he specifically said Jesus knew. First of all, in verse 1, he knew his hour had come. It was time when he would be glorified through his death and his resurrection and his ascension. From the human point of view, it, mean, it meant that Jesus would now be what Isaiah prophesied, the suffering servant. Yes, this Messiah is not riding a white horse and a conquering king in the beginning, but he comes in humility and he comes as a suffering servant who will suffer and die on our behalf in order to redeem us by his own blood. That is the ultimate sacrifice and gift for us. So Jesus knew when I came as God incarnate, born of the Virgin Mary, and as I've walked across the face of this earth for 33 or so years, and I have fulfilled the law, every jot and every tittle, I now know my mission is a cross that is just a few hours away. And I willingly lay down my life and shed my blood to rescue those who are lost in sin. That's what Jesus knew. He knew who he was. 
He knew why he was here, and he knew where he was headed. Jesus knew. Verse 3. The Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God, and he was going back to God. Jesus never forgot who he was, why he was here, or where he was headed. That's a pretty good motto for every child of God, right? Remember who you are, remember why you're here, and remember where you are headed. Jesus never forgot that he was God. That meant he's the Lord of creation. He never ceased being Lord of creation. That meant all power was at his fingertips. That meant all knowledge was his. That meant that he is the God who made the lame legs strong and the blind eyes see and the deaf ears hear. He is the God who healed the sick. He's the God who calmed the seas. He is sovereign Lord. He never lost sight of that, yet he willingly emptied himself and came in the appearance as a man and became obedient even unto death. This Jesus took off his outer garments And he stooped to the lowliest place of service. And he did a menial task that a slave should have done. And he washed the disciples' feet. This Jesus chose to gird himself with a towel. And he chose to do what nobody else wanted to do. Now, washing feet is not real inviting, is it? I mean, we have pretty good hygiene today. I guess most of you took a bath in the last 24 hours, right? But still, I really wouldn't want you to pull your shoes and socks off and for me to wash your feet. I really am not into that. But as as much as that kind of turns us off today, you need to remember that this was not glamorous in Jesus' day. First of all, It was a position for the lowest of slaves. It was not a position that a rabbi or teacher should ever do. In fact, it's not even something the disciples would consider doing to one another because peers did not wash one another's feet. It's probably a a place of service that not even a Jewish slave would do. But it's reserved for Gentile slaves, for for women and children. And so it is a lowly, lowly task. One that is not desirable. We need to remember also that in this culture, their feet were not as clean as yours and mine. In this culture, you need to remember there was no air conditioning yet. The streets were not paved And their shoes were open-toed. So as they walked, most everywhere they went, their feet got really dusty. And as they shared the roadways with animals, well, animals discard things along the way. And there's no doubt that along the way, their feet got dirty. It's those grimy, nasty feet that the Lord of creation, the King of kings willingly stooped down and took in his sovereign hands and washed them clean. What Jesus knew 
He knew who he was. He knew why he was here. He knew where he was headed. What Jesus knew is the time has come. But Jesus also knew one of the 12 was not on the team. Jesus knew Judas had never surrendered. Jesus knew that Judas was about to betray him. Yet, Jesus washed 12 pair of feet. Many old tasks nobody wanted to do. Not just to his friends, but even to his enemy. Hallelujah. What a Savior. As Jesus was doing that, good old Peter makes us feel better. What he did, he was washing their feet. He came to Peter. And Peter said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Peter's starting to put the pieces of the puzzle together. I'm I'm not comfortable with this. Our master should never have to stoop to wash our feet. If anybody's going to wash feet, we need to be washing yours. It's starting to come to light. Yet none of the disciples, see, I believe every one of those, including Judas, I, I believe every one of those would have been willing to wash Jesus' feet. They just didn't think about it until Jesus began to wash their feet. Peter protested and said, no, Lord, are you washing my feet? He said, what I am doing, you don't understand now, but you'll understand later. And later would be after his death, after his resurrection, and probably after his ascension, Peter goes, ah, now I get what he was saying. And so he told Peter, you don't understand yet. And and then Peter says, Lord, no, not ever. You will never wash my feet. To which Jesus said, if I do not wash your feet, you have no part with me. No association, no partnership, no fellowship. You have no part with me. And Peter said, Lord, if that's the case, my head and my hands too, wash all of me. And then Jesus said, he gave one of those just practical illustrations with a deeper spiritual level. Jesus said, Peter, don't know if he asked. We're not told he asked. He said, those who have had a bath don't need another bath. You just need your feet washed. The practical side of that is that you don't go to someone's house to take a bath. But oftentimes when you went into the house before the meal, most of the time that the foot washing did happen because it was custom. But it was practice of the lowest of slaves. But Jesus told Peter, you can't be for me on the team unless you're washed. And he said, not just my feet, but all of me. And then Jesus said, those who are bathed only need their feet washed. For you are clean, but not all of you, right? And so the spiritual side of that is kind of salvation and sanctification. Those who have been saved by grace through faith in Christ... You're only washed spiritually in salvation one time. But in this process of growing to be more like Jesus, we need daily foot washing or cleansing because as we live out our faith in this old sinful, broken world, we become defiled in our heart and in our lives with sin, and we need to be washed. 
And so Jesus is laying out that deep understanding. They don't get it all yet, but it's practical and it's spiritual. It's a deep understanding. But really what Jesus is teaching them is that he is illustrating that you are to follow my example in humble, loving service to one another. He would say, look around the room to one another. You know what kind of characters these were? As you read the gospel narratives together, you figure out there's a lot of type A personalities in these guys. Some of them were arguing about who was the greatest among them. That inner circle, Peter, James, and John, they had some attitudes in that one. Can my son be on your left and then the other on the right? And, and then they, uh, Dr. Luke tells us that they were arguing about who was the greatest. In this same time frame, Jesus knows who they are in their heart. He knows these guys have pride issues. He knows the temptation of these guys is to think they're beyond serving some people. Or that's a task that does not apply to them. He deals with that heart of pride by calling them to humble themselves in a spirit of humility and love one another through Humble service. Number two on your notes. The practical lesson, Jesus wants them to be loving, humble disciples, loving one another. Number two, applications from the teachings of Jesus. So as I look at a text, oftentimes you make general observations and then, then you learn what is God saying and then, then you kind of ask the question, well, what does that mean? How do I apply that? What do I do now? And so here are a few applications, not the only ones, but number one, one thing that jumped out to me is that a disciple's heart is a heart of love. Jesus loved them to the uttermost. He loved them to the end. And then if you jump down in John chapter 13 and look at verse 34, Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, uh, that you love one another just as I have loved you, Right? You also are to love one another. By this, by your love one for another, all will know an identifying mark that you are my disciples by loving one another. You see, the disciples' heart has been radically redeemed by an unconditional, selfless, sacrificial Savior. And it's that love that we have received that Jesus says now. As you have received that unconditional, selfless, and sacrificial love, you go live it out to one another. Hey, look around. We're the one another's. Not everybody in this circle is easy to love. I'll just go ahead and get it out there and say it for you. I guarantee you, old Peter and James and John were not always easy to get along with. They had some attitude, they had some ego, they had some pride. They were tough guys, but sometimes they were hard to get along with. And Jesus is saying, hey, people will know you are different when you live among them differently by humbly serving in this kind of love. So a disciple's heart grows in that unconditional, selfless and sacrificial love. How's your love? being reflected to those around you. Are you willing to stoop to that low point? Are you willing 
to serve when it costs you something? Are you willing to give when it hurts? Are you willing to change your schedule? Are you willing to take somebody that you really don't like's feet in your hands and love on them with the love of Jesus? A heart that is full of love. There's another application. Jesus set the example, no one is above serving. This service demonstrates Jesus' love to them, but it's bigger than that. Jesus is letting them know, I am your teacher. I am your Lord. I am Messiah. We remember, we read the gospel, he's the Lord of creation. He is sovereign God, yet he was willing to stoop and to take their feet and wash their feet with his own hands. And so Jesus said, if I, your teacher and Lord, have done this, then you follow my example. There is none any greater than Jesus. There's not a name any higher than his. There's not one worthy of more glory than he, yet he took the lowest point of service in their culture and he embraced it in order to teach them and us how to love one another. Do you think you're above doing certain things for the kingdom of God? I don't know what those things are. To some, that may be changing diapers. To others, it may be cleaning toilets. To others, it, it may be changing your schedule to be there for a friend in crisis. To others, it may be giving some money to support, uh, maybe buying a gift card to a family that just lost a loved one, being at the hospital, sitting with family, being there visiting to those who can't get out to the shut-ins. It, it could be a whole lot of different things, but are we willing to do what others aren't? Because Jesus was willing to do what nobody else did. Are we willing to be inconvenienced in order to obey? Jesus sent a message. Nobody is above serving. So let me ask you, how are you serving your master as a friend who is loving on others? Another thing, three, I think. No one is below being served. Once again, how many pair of feet did Jesus wash? Twelve. Judas was in that crowd. One thing Jesus knew is that Judas would betray him. Yet he treated him in that moment the same. And he was willing to wash the feet of one who would give him up to his enemies. No one is below being served. If you like I am, there are times that I might see a circumstance, and I know it's going to require a lot of time. I know it's going to require maybe a lot of sacrifice. Sometimes it may require holding your breath because it's not a pleasing aroma. And there are times that it's real easy just to turn my back and walk the other way. 
when God has put them in my line of vision. And Jesus says, no, if you see it, if they're in your path, that's where you are, the friend who loves others. But then there's the real climax of the teaching that I think here, the primary principle that that we hear from Jesus. He gives us an example of loving others And he calls us to do the same through humble service. Now, foot washing is not an ordinance of the church. Some have tried to make that the ordinance of one of the ordinances through the years, but it's not. We're not called literally to practice foot washing every time we get together. I had a primitive Baptist grandpa, and they did that a lot. But we are called into humble service as friends who love one another with an unconditional, selfless, and sacrificial love. Again, that's going to change from situation to situation. I'm blessed about every Sunday that I walk up in the parking lot, and before I get here, Brother Pete is out there, rain or shine, cold like this morning or hot, with a leaf blower in his hand, a broom and a dustpan, and he is cleaning off every entrance to our worship center, and he is blowing off the sidewalks where the rain and the wind have put debris on it, and he doesn't do it to be recognized. He does it as part of his serve to the Lord and to the body of Christ. You may have never seen him, but my heart rejoices every Sunday I'm not going to give his age away, but he's in the older adult category. And he was out there this morning, and it was cold. But with joy, he was serving. There's an army of people right over here in this wing that are holding babies, perhaps changing diapers. Some are chasing kids and blocking the door. And they're going to be tired when we say amen. But there's an army of people who are friends, loving those little ones so that mamas and daddies and grandparents can grow up to be like Jesus. There's another army downstairs where they're a little bit more active. Eric, one of our deacons, serves, I think, in fifth grade boys. God bless him and grow an army for him. Hey, it's a challenge. Unconditional, selfless, sacrificial. Loving as a friend. Demonstrating Christ. Kirk has a bunch of leaders in student ministry. And you know, students sometimes it's just that blank stare. And then you teach and teach and teach and it's hard to get anything. But they're listening. In the last year, I've had an opportunity to call two or three of my student leaders and say, Thanks. When you didn't think I was getting it, I was getting it. When you had to come find me to take me to class, thank you. When I wouldn't get quiet and I was fidgety and I was causing disruption, uh, disruption and maybe destruction in the class. I'm a PK if you didn't know that, so I knew all the tricks. Thank you. There's an army of life group leaders 
that study above and beyond that chapter of day, day after day after day, so they can stand and proclaim truth. But there is a greater army of servants of God. And every one of us are called to be like Jesus as a friend who's loving on others. How are you doing that? If you're not, how is the Holy Spirit calling you to do that? It may be within your life group. group. Living life together is why we do groups. You get to know people not just by name but by life. And you get to rally around them when you understand they're struggling. You get to celebrate with them when God shows up and there's an answered prayer and there's victory. And we live life together. In those groups are a good place to begin being that friend who loves others. If you can't see it, here's your prayer as we close. God, open my eyes. And even more, open my heart. Not to be just about me, but to be more like Jesus and a friend who is selfless and sacrificial and is willing to love unconditionally, even when it costs me time and it costs me money and it costs me to swallow my pride. What a joy to pursue Christ as a friend who loves others and then be known as a Christ follower because it's different than anything this world has to offer. May we grow to be that friend who loves others. And your challenge this week, humble service to someone, somewhere, somehow, and something that cost you this week. Let's pray. Father, this is not natural to our own thinking. but it is natural to the heart of Jesus. We don't wake up in the morning with this on our mind, but dear Holy Spirit of God, burden our heart and impress upon our minds. I pray that you will do what we cannot do on our own, that you will open our eyes that we see. And as we see, that we'll have courage to obey. And Father, I pray that Liberty Baptist family will be encouraged this week because you impress upon us how maybe in our life group or our church family how we can love on others before they ask unexpected selfishly and sacrificially And Father, when we do it out of obedience, we know there's great joy in that. We don't do it for recognition. In fact, it's awkward when we're recognized. But what we do encourages and uplifts and spurs others on to know you and pursue you. I thank you in the last month, I've been the recipient, along with Dawn, of a loving church family. 
random acts of kindness, food, gift cards, text, calls, visits, prayers. And I thank you. And so, Father, I pray that I will learn from that and I will be that friend to someone else. I pray this week our family's encouraged, our church family, because there are a lot of friends who are loving on others in Jesus' name. And now, Father, I pray as we get ready to sing about Jesus and the power of his name, there's anyone here that has never surrendered their life to King Jesus that does not have the assurance of their sin being forgiven and heaven being their home for eternity and the power of God being at work in them and continuing that good work today Father I pray by your spirit you would draw them that they desire to know Jesus and as I stand at the front as we sing Father I pray that you give them courage to walk up be honest and just say, I need to know Jesus. Father, there are Judases in every crowd. He heard what everybody else heard. He saw what they all saw. He even served alongside of them along the way. Yet his heart was far from Jesus. So if there are any Judases here today, Father, that they know and they've been around and they've been involved, but they know and you know they've never surrendered their life to him father i pray today will be the day of salvation give them courage to receive the greatest gift of all now father thank you that we can sing with confidence about king jesus and it is in his mighty name we pray and that we speak amen and amen we